Well, good afternoon and welcome to today's session for Oxford's Humanitas Visiting Chair uh, in Opera. Um, I want to acknowledge the uh, inspiration of Lord Weidenfeld in setting up the Humanitas programme um, and as um, we can see on the screen, the um, uh, magnificent contribution of the Claw Duffield Foundation in supporting it. Jay Volpe from the uh, Metropolitan Opera was our first holder of the chair and many of you will remember meeting him last year. Our second incumbent, Gerard Mortier, started his career in communication and law. Fortunately for us, he chose to go into the arts and became director of the Flanders Festival and then successively artistic director of the operas in Dusseldorf, Hamburg and Frankfurt. He worked for a short time as technical advisor in setting up the programme of the Paris Opera before being appointed um, the director of the opera in Brussels, where he reformed the opera house with innovative adaptations of the repertoire and introduction of new works and performers. In 1992, Gérard Mortier took over the running of the Salzburg Festival, which, under his direction, went through a period of transformation, which was at times both radical and provocative. At the end of 2001, he became director of the Paris Opera and is currently general director of the Teatro Real de Madrid, where he has been since 2010. After such a career, it comes as no surprise to find he has garnered many awards, including honorary doctorates from the universities of Antwerp and Salzburg. In an interview some years ago, Gerard Mortier was quoted as saying, I like to move things, he said, stirring his hands in the air. <laughs> when water doesn't move, it turns bad. Still, he said, his goal is not to shock people, but to make them think and feel. I don't want them to run away, he said of his audience. I want them to come back. So tonight we're going to see how he does that. Gerard Bortier. Good evening. First of all, thank you. For inviting me, I would like to thank Vivian Duffield and Lord Feinfeld and Michael Burden and all his collaborators because he was so helpful in preparing these uh, several lectures. And of course, I had to start with uh, something about the Salzburg Festival. I would like to start in quoting uh, President Charles de Gaulle, who said once, how you can govern a country who has more as 300 different cheese. So it's more difficult to talk about the festival because I think at the moment there are more festivals of all French, Britain and Swiss cheese together. <laughs> uh, therefore, I think we should start in trying to um, make a landscape about what our festivals know and then to focus on, on the Salzburg Festival in his history. And we'll see if uh, Michael wants so. If you would like to have questions at the end, I will be at your disposal. But let's start with the landscape of, of the festivals. It's for sure that the first time that we really talk about Festspiele, Bühnenfestspiele, it's of course Richard Wagner. Uh, Richard Wagner has written in, 1870, in 1862 uh, his ideas about the festival for the first time. And um, we know that before, for example, Hector Berlioz already thought of organizing in his birthplace uh, La Côte Saint-André uh, a festival, but it's really the first who make the theory 
about the festival, like always. Wagner writes as much uh, on his music as music. And uh, he wrote important ideas about this festival and created the Festspielhaus. And when we an analyze the, the Bayreuth festival, what for me is very important to understand also the Salzburg festival, who was uh, in a certain way not an adaptation, but was, uh, was uh, reflecting also on the Bayreuth festival. When we look into uh, Wagner's Bayreuth, what we see, what happens? It's for sure that first of all, Richard Wagner wanted to react against the cultural business of his time. He wanted to step out. And that was, of course, out of his um, uh, bad, bad uh, memories when he arrived for the first time in Paris, uh, where he met with Meyerbeer, Giacomo Meyerbeer. He has written very bad things later of that. But you must know he had hunger. He couldn't enter in the business of the Paris Opera. And uh, out of this, he knew that he would like to make a, a sort of art that was different. So we must see the creation of the Salzburg Festival as a really, for the first time, so very uh, an exponent of reaction against the business and the cultural business of his time. And to do so, he obliges us, first of all, to go uh, out of the town. And we must say that at the same time that the Bayreuth Festival was inspired probably, I think so, by uh, the Greek festival, the so-called Dionysia, that there was a big difference with this Dionysia, where the Dionysia was in the center of the town, in the center of the polis. Uh, Wagner went out of the town, but that was this religious uh, thinking of him. He was not religious, but we see what happens in Parsifal. Uh, it was, we have to go back to the desert to reflect, and we have to go out of the town. He couldn't accept anymore that people would come out of the office, run into the opera house, see uh, Parsifal and go back. Uh, no, it's even more, go back to the mobile phone. <laughs> uh, the, uh, Wagner reacted very strongly against that, so he went out to the desert. It's very important also to see where he went. He went to Bayreuth, and Bayreuth is still Bavaria, but at the same time it's closer to Dresden and Leipzig as a München. And it's also closer to the more Protestant North as the Catholic South. And that many times we have forgotten. The, at the one side, Bayreuth had uh, a very representative uh, Baroque theatre, the Markgräfliches Open Theater. He always thought to do his ring there, but the letters, of course, in Marseille, it would have been very difficult to do a ring in a theater full of angels, uh, Baroque <laughs> angels, would be very strange. But at the same time, he wanted to be further away of Ludwig II of Bayern, a little bit closer to Berlin, who at that moment, with Bismarck, uh, became the great center of Germany. And it's always for me fascinating how we have with Wagner this mixing between a very philosophical thinking and very pragmatic doing. So he went to Bayreuth and he obliges everyone, we also probably, to come there every year. 
when we read the letters of Peter Tchaikovsky of the first festival, how they had hunger, how they didn't find nothing to eat during the whole festival, you understand it was really a, a retiring into the desert. The second point, of course, is that he wanted uh, to react against opera business as entertainment. Um, for him, Meyerbeer was a real example, and he wanted that opera should be again, and theater, if I may so say, a reflection on the society where we are living in, a reflection on great existential questions, uh, a reflection uh, on moral questions, and therefore he wanted that people would concentrate on his work. The inspiration here of the Greek theatre is very clear. Of course, when he started to compose uh, Siegfried, he didn't know that he needed to develop more of the work to uh, tell the story. But at the same time, when he chose for four evenings, it was at the same time very much inspired by the Greek tragedy. And we know that the ring is full of uh, reminiscences of the Greek tragedy. F one example, when Brunhilde says uh, that she should flee, and it's on the right side, of course, that was in the Greek theater, very clear. One side was the city, the other side was uh, the forest. And of course, um, also Brunhilde tells to Sieglinde to flee in the direction of the forest. Of course, she couldn't know that Fafner would wait in this forest later. But in any case, that's the, the way she, she sends her away. So it's very well inspired by the Greek tragedy because he says very clearly it's drei Abende und ein Vorspiel. We know that in the Greek, the Aeschylus and Sophocles always wrote three tragedies, then with um, a comic <coughs> play afterwards. There was always four parts for all this um, uh, Greek tragedy and Greek uh, uh, in the Dionysia. But there is more inspiration. There is also this religious inspiration, and therefore Richard Wagner will build his Festspielhaus on a small hill. What means that later, when we have the first great uh, reports on the Bayreuth Festival, the famous book in French is called Pèlerinage à Bayreuth. It's like we go to a religious place to see there. The people have to walk upstairs to the, the, the Festspielhaus uh, where, where it's uh, built. So we have, first of all, going out of town, going back to the desert so that everybody has to think. Secondly, um, inspired by Greek tragedy, where also in the police all, uh, we was obliged to think about violence at that moment. All the great uh, questions of the time of the Greeks was discussed in, 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 in the theatre, of course. Then the architecture of the house of Bayreuth is of course inspired by the Greek theatre, like we know it from Dionysus and now at, in, in, at this day very well conserved in, in Epidaurus. It's for me very important because at this moment we always think that the architecture of our parliaments was the inspiration of the theatre. It's of course <laughs> the other way around. It was the Greek theatre who inspired the architecture 
Not in England, not in the uh, in England, but in the the half the, the half circle, uh, was inspired by them, and uh, of course Richard Wagner will go back in his uh, in his house to the typical Greek uh, architecture. He knew without really boxes the boxes he built only later for the king of Bavaria. A third point is when we look into the. Yeah, the communication of the Ring des Nibelungen and later Parsifal, it's very clear that uh, Wagner doesn't want only to entertain his public, but that he wants to take them through a reflection about the world, about the political situation. I don't have to explain, that's not uh, the subject of tonight, uh, the Ring des Nibelungen. And the Parsifal, what is much more complicated because it's religious and not religious, but it's very clear that Wagner obliges his public to prepare themselves to reflect on that, to discuss with him. And finally, it was an aesthetic uh, enormous revolution because he brought the public in a contemporary artwork. Of course, in the 19th century, it was much more normal that you went to see new pieces. At the end of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st is the first time in life of music that you always go to listen and uh, hear uh, pieces who are from the past. When I listen now, people who say me, but Stravinsky, it's so modern, excuse me, it's 100 years ago, it would have been as like in the beginning of the 20th century, they would have said, oh, Beethoven is so modern, it was also 100 years ago. But that's, we will talk about this later when we talk about the Salzburg Festival. Conclusion. Bayreuth is really the first time festival, what we look in, when we look into this festival we see we go out of the town, that will be also the case in Salzburg, we go out or it is inspired by uh, the structure of Greek tragedy and all the, uh, the, um, the philosophy of, of the Greek tragedy. It goes uh, not only about entertainment, therefore the chairs will be in wood so that you don't feel too comfortable uh, in, in the place. And finally, it's uh, only for uh, new work. And we must see, to, uh, to finish with the Bayreuth Festival, that uh, Wagner was completely betrayed, if I may say, by Cosima Wagner and by his son Siegfried. Because never he has thought that only his works would be played in Bayreuth. It is very clear in this, uh, what he is written in 1862 that he tells very clearly that there should be every year a prize for a new work, that there should be a jury who should come together. They would look for new works and this work would then be played and repeated during the three seasons. It was only later that Cosima and Siegfried changed and made of Bayreuth, what we can understand, a sort of a tabernacle uh, where we kept um, uh, the, the reliquy, if I may say, what uh, Wagner has given us. Now to go on, uh, before we go on with the Salzburg Festival, I would like to show once uh, with some pictures what it me meant in his time. We will compare the Feshpirhaus and Bayreuth with the Paris Opera. And for me it's very important because both houses was opened during the same period. Uh, you may know that Bayreuth opened in 1876 
And the Palais Garnier, the uh, created by Napoleon III, was thought of in 1870, but only opened after the revolution as well in 1876. So the Feshbri house uh, outside, you see that yeah, there is nothing. Only this uh, loggia was built later for Ludwig II. It's very interesting that Ludwig II was invited to the general rehearsal and uh, the emperor uh, Wilhelm came to the opening night because at that moment there was already the war between Prussia and Bavaria. Uh, Prussia has won, so it is for me was typical that uh, Ludwig II only came to the general rehearsal and went away for the opening night. Um, and that's inside, so you know, most of you have, have known that, but it's a fantastic house. Still, nowadays, uh, for me, one of the most uh, beautiful opera houses, and I don't understand why uh, uh, modern architectures, architects have never used this example to, to follow, because it's one of the best opera houses, but you see, uh, you cannot be claustrophobic when you are in the middle, and um, the, the seats are without difference, only the lodges behind. When you compare this with the Paris Opera, outside it's of course the restoration, it's the going, going back to uh, the great uh, time of uh, uh, Ludwig uh, the XIV and therefore uh, Napoleon III. We, it's important to tell this because we will see that the same happens in Salzburg. Uh, Napoleon III, we call it also the Académie uh, uh, Royale uh, de la Musique, like it was in the time of Napoleon, uh, of uh, Ludwig XIV. That's very interesting for me to show once a model of the Paris Opera, where, as you may know, I worked for five years. When you look to the, the place where is, uh, where is a spectacle and the theatre, that's only one-third of the building. All the rest is to represent yourself. From here to here, and from here to here. It's all on presentation. It has nothing to do with the, it has nothing to do with the performance. Um, it was also the first time where you had foyers where women could come. It was not the case before. They had to go at once in their boxes, but they could come here. So if you look to this building, it's the opposite of Richard Wagner's Feschbihaus, but it's opened in the same year. Uh, this is the famous design of um, Garnier. And there you see, of course, that it's the triumph of the bourgeoisie of the 19th century, of Baron de Nussingen, as we know it from Marcel Proust. And of course, the, the, uh, the staircase was the most important, like in big palaces when you came in, so that everybody could come in and see you. And we know that in the Paris Opera, I have no picture of here, but the rotonde where the abonnés came was completely full with uh, mirrors. That means that when you was with your back to the door, you could always see who came in. You never missed the one you wanted to see uh, in the opera house. Uh, but that has nothing to do with, um, with uh, let's say, with the performance. We look once more, that's a famous staircase, not the design, but how it is now. Uh, and then another one. It's uh, fantastic, you know, it uses 90 different marmers in this staircase who came from all over the world to build this staircase, what is finally the most maybe beautiful place of the whole opera house. There's the foyer where you could walk, so that has also nothing to do. 
and then finally you have the opera house. Nevertheless, if I make, I always like to be a little bit critical, I think the same happened finally in Covent Garden. Covent Garden changed completely since they built Floral Hall, and I think Floral Hall became at least as important as uh, the performance hall. Um, uh, I like very much Covent Garden without Floral Hall, but uh, now, because you had to drink your coffee in the corridor, now a lot of people stay in the Floral Hall for the second part. <laughs> It's like in Glyndebourne when the cows go away when it's modern music. They, uh, Lord Christie said to me once, the cows are farther away when we play Britain and closer when we play uh, Mozart. That's uh, the same a little bit what happens in Floral Hall nowadays. Then we go to Salzburg. That as far that you see the difference between the idea of a festival created by Richard Wagner and the business of, as usual, of cultural life and opera life in that time. The Salzburg Festival, I will come back on it, but it's very important to say already that the Salzburg Festival was created out of a political situation, not the same as in Bayreuth. Bayreuth was the model, but the political situation was the collapse of the Austrian Habsburg Empire after the First World War. And therefore it will be Hofmannsthal, the famous writer, I will come back to that, who will be uh, the center of the ideology of the Salzburg Festival, but we will also talk about the Baroque in this city, why it was so important, and you see at once that the facade of the dome in Bayreuth has something to do with the facade of the opera in Paris. Uh, there are, uh, it's it's a, 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 sh a sort of, it has to do with Baroque, it has to do with restoration, it has to do with uh, representation, but with a lot of other uh, details, of course. Uh, we, will, um, we will talk about it later. But before I come to the Southwark Festival, I would like to go on with the evolution of the festivals. We had then a third sort of festival, very important for me, that was after the Second World War. It means that the festival, like in Salzburg, had always a sense at the moment that the society was in crisis and on the one side wanted to fight um, um, virtues of the past uh, on the one side and on the other side uh, people wanted to find back their identity. We will see that after the Second World War, we have a lot of festivals uh, created, for example, the Holland Festival in Amsterdam, who suffered very much also by the Second World War. We will have Aix-en-Provence with a completely different character. We will have uh, uh, Edinburgh, of course, comes at the same time, with a more specific character of looking for the own identity, the more Scottish identity, at the same time the connection with uh, uh, the world. And myself, I started my career in the Flanders Festival in a moment that Flanders went out of economic and social crisis, started to be a feeling as Flanders, and in that moment, uh, we created the Flanders Festival. What for me is very strange in all these new creations of festivals is that most of the time these are not original festivals in the sense that they no create work but invite international groups. It means that most of the time the public felt a little bit like being in the province 
and wanted to have connection with the international art world. What well, was probably the mistake, but in any case, for me, it's social, uh, from the sociological point of view, very interesting to see that this is one part of these festivals who are created after the Second World War. And then there is um, an, an, another type, it's it, in this entity, then we have the festivals who started to uh, create, be created in the great cities. Um, I would say that at that moment, that was uh, during the 70s, that was in the moment where Europe already recovered from uh, the Second World War, we see that in the big cities, there is a reflection on um, what should be the c great cultural institutes. And we see the first one, and it's not by chance, was in Berlin. In Berlin, you have the Berliner Festwochen, because the city of Berlin was a complete eye at that moment, and it was clear that Berlin wanted to be more uh, themselves at this time. Later, we see that it, uh, the Festival d'Automne in, in Paris with Michel Guy, and of course in Paris, it was, uh, he wanted that uh, the festival became a connection between all great institutions, but at the same time an opening for everything what was new in, in the arts world. And the same will happen in Vienna. So it's very interesting that in those cities where there is an enormous cultural life, that they create a new sort of festival, what is more a festival to combine the energies of the different cultural institutions. Then starts the festival, we have to, we have to make this landscape, uh, then starts at once the festivals who are concentrated on an art form. That means also, probably, that in our arts business a lot of forms was neglected. For example, we start with dance festival. And the reason is very simple. The dance wanted to make themselves not dependent of the opera. You know, until the beginning of the 20th century, until the Sacre du Printemps, we had just the anniversary some days ago, uh, the ballet was part of the opera. And with the beginning of the 20th century, uh, with great scores uh, like uh, Jeu of Debussy, Sacre du Printemps, the dance make themselves independent of the opera. So they created dance festivals to put the dance in, uh, in the front, and it was not the same as with the opera. Another, of course, is the film festival. At the moment that the film is developing, we will have the great film festivals, Cannes, Berlin and, and Venice. And then, very typical for me too, is the festival of modern art. Uh, it would have been unthinkable of in the 19th century to have a festival of modern art. Wagner was modern, but he has not de to declare it. But we see that from the second half of the 20th century, we start to create our museums of modern art, to create our festivals of modern art, and the most famous was, of course, Donna Eschingen. And now, everywhere, Vienna created at a certain moment with Claudia Abado, Wien Modern. But already in this name, there is, is for me a very great specificity to say Vienna Modern. 
because for all of us who knows very well Vienna, we know that Vienna is rather a city of the nostalgia of something of the past, and Vienna wanted to express themselves as a city who always also was open for the future. And last but not least, we have finally all these festivals who simply are made for tourism. It means you have a beautiful castle, you clean up the court, you put a piano and you invite Polini and you make a festival. Uh, there are tens, not to say hundreds of it. I don't say that these festivals are not many times very interesting, but um, this is the typical evolution of the festival now. You will ask me why not talk about Glyndebourne, but Glyndebourne belongs to these festivals who was created and at a certain moment has, it would be very interesting, but it's another discourse to analyze uh, Glyndebourne because Glyndebourne was the, of course created thanks to a lot of Jewish artists who uh, went away from uh, Germany at the same time as a festival for me very important at that moment who was the opposite of Bayreuth in a moment that Bayreuth became more and more under the, the power of the Nazis and in Bayreuth wanted to go back uh, to a festival of course mixed with a typical English flair. Uh, there is really until now no one festival where you go also for the picnic and I think still the picnic in Glamour is different as in Floral Hall, let's say the truth. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, even there I would like to go but that's uh, typical for Glamour who is for me a festival very interesting and maybe there is a student once here uh, who would analyze the social importance of the Glamour festival. But meanwhile as we know there are a lot of other festivals who try to uh, do the same as in Gladenborn and already in England I think you have four or five festivals who have the same court where you play also Mozart or Strauss and uh, as long that people are coming but you see this more and uh, building up from more and more festivals. So having said that I can come back to the Salzburg festival and go more a little bit in the history of this festival because it's very interesting for me, as it reflects enormously the cultural life in the 20th century. Let's start with uh, Hofmannsthal. Hoko van Hofmannsthal, who was one of the great um, uh, Austrian writers, creates the Salzburg Festival in a moment of his artistic life, uh, uh, what was very specific. As you may know, he was a very brilliant poet. Uh, as a young man already, 20, 21 years old, 22, he was very famous. Uh, he had a matrice of the language um, who was uh, belonged to, to the best. He had such a knowledge of the word and of the poetry that he was enormously successful. Then he had, uh, in the middle of his life, and we can say it, it's in 1903, when he wrote Electra. Uh, what was later composed by Richard Strauss, he was in a moment that he doesn't believe anymore in the power of the communication through the art world. Like so many people before the First World War. And we are in Vienna on top of that, with the whole decadence of Vienna, the whole reflection, we will talk about it. So he's in a period with Electra, he starts to reflect and the, uh, the specificity of Electra of Richard Strauss in 
contrast to the Electra of Sophocles or, or Euripides is that no one talks to each other. Electra only comes up and has her enormous fantasy. Always she starts again and again to talk about her father, what ends in a sort of uh, folia uh, completely. And all persons who come on the stage, even Electra with Chrysotomies, they never talk to each other. There may be two phrases, but as at once Electra addresses herself to Chrysotomies, it's always to attack her. It's not a question. She doesn't want to know what Chrysotomies has to say her. And it is um, very important to say because out of this crisis, Hofmannsthal reflected what art could be in future. We have seen this very often. We, we have this year the pardon for many times I like to make another uh, uh, parenthesis. This year we have also the birthday of Georg Büchner, who was born in the same year of Verdi and Wagner. We cannot believe this because Büchner was seven days later as Verdi, but he was a man of the 20th century. And uh, Büchner also had this problem how he could express uh, his communication through uh, through uh, the art. And Hofmannsthal will then start to reflect to create a festival or a place where he can talk about his society on the one side and at the same time to reconstruct what was lost. And it is out of this idea that the Salzburg festival was created. Um, Hofmannsthal, later, together with Richard Strauss, but Richard Strauss was a composer, he never uh, had a lot of reflections on ideology. But out of his uh, reflection, and together with, uh, with the um, stage director, Max Reinhardt, uh, who will help him, he will uh, create this, um, uh, the Salzburg Festival. Let's see now what happens in reality, it's for me very important and as when I was director I will uh, tell you why it played such an important role for me. When the Salzburg Festival was created, there was a whole uh, movement, what happened in Vienna, what was excluded of the Salzburg Festival. In Vienna, as you <coughs> may know, we had the Wiener Secession with Otto Wagner, with the architect Alfred Loos, we had Gustav Klimt, we had Egon Schiele later, we had the writer Karl Kraus, we had Altenberg. This was a new group of people, together of course with Arnold Schoenberg, who wanted to go away of Vienna and of the Habsburg Empire as it was at the end of the, the 19th century and at the beginning of the 21st. And of course they felt already um, that a, a war could come. Very interesting for me nevertheless is that all of them was quite enthusiastic about this war. You wouldn't believe it now, but we know that even Schoenberg wrote letters very enthusiastic that this first world war broke out. Later uh, the deception wa was of course uh, enormous. But what happens, and that's very important to understand the Salzburg Festival, that this whole new movements, all these new artists, was completely excluded of the new Salzburg Festival. Because Hofmannsthal wanted to recreate the past and not to open the festival for a new vision. 
I say this because that was my big work, I think, so when I, when I, I came down to Salzburg, and I don't know if it was a good work, but then it was work. Uh, he wanted to exclude, and that's not, I, I say it's good or bad, but it's to understand the Salzburg Festival. Therefore, the Baroque was very important because the city was Baroque, and uh, they wanted, the Baroque was always in the cultural history of Europe, restoration. The Baroque style was developed from Spain out and then came later. And one of the most beautiful examples is the Karlskirche in Vienna, you know, is just outside of the ring. And this uh, Baroque style and the neo-Baroque, what came then with uh, Fischer von Erlach, and we have also a church in, in Salzburg, was the expression of the will of these people to come back to a situation who was lost. But at the same time, there was a great social and humanistic engagement. So it was not only nostalgia, it was also um, the, uh, uh, the wish that this would never happen again. And therefore, they went to the mysteries because it was connected to the church, and we have to see the Salzburg Festival at the beginning as a great connection between Christian, conservative, Baroque a festival. So it connected also to the mysteries. And therefore, Hofmannsthal did believe to the people who came to Salzburg that Jedermann was an Austrian creation, and we know all it came from England, every man, but he did as if it would be that. And the first years of the festival are completely full with mystery plays. The most famous one was the one who Hofmannsthal has written, uh, was Das große Salzburger Welttheater, with all allegories. The, the figures in this place are not people, uh, uh, living people, it's all, all ideas. It is uh, Glaube, it's uh, love, it's belief, it's uh, pity. So it's all allegories in this mystery place. That was the beginning of the Salzburg Festival. And it will, when we look now to Mozart, what Mozart, well, what role played Mozart in the beginning? Very low. Because before this festival started in 1920, there was big discussions between one side, the people of the theater, like Max Reinhardt and Hofmannsthal, the writers, and on the other side, the music people, was leaded by the famous singer Lili Lehmann. And they wanted more to make of Salzburg, in the sense of um, Bayreuth, the city of Mozart. It, parenthesis, take long time before Salzburg discovered that they could make much money out of uh, Mozart. You know, when Mozart died in 1901, already 10 years later, everything in Vienna they built already. It took several decades before the first um, sculpture of um, Mozart was built in Salzburg. It was until the mid of the 19th century that Salzburg started to understand that Mozart could be a good business for them. Before the Mozart Google was created, but uh, already they, they started to believe in that. The, uh, so there was this discussion between the musicians, between the theatre people, and we can say that until the Anschluss and the takeover of the Salzburg Festival by the Nazis, 
that until then Mozart was in a sort way an import from Vienna. All performances came from the Vienna State Opera with most of the time very great conductors. Of course, Gustav Mahler conducted one of the first opera uh, Mozart performances before the Salzburg Festival was created because he was already there. But Lili Lehmann, that was the beginning. And then during the time of Hofmannsthal and, um, and Reinhardt, uh, they played the great operas of Mozart, the Dri Don Giovanni, the Don Giovanni uh, Nozze di Figaro, and Così Fan Tutte, as well as Magic Flute and uh, Entführung, Abduction of the Seraglio, because it was in German. At that time, they even think of it, of playing Idomeneo, or Finta Giardiniera, or Lucio Silla. So it was really the most uh, known uh, operas of uh, Mozart was played. At the same time in the theatre, they created a lot of new pieces to tell how that the importance of Mozart at the beginning of the Salzburg Festival didn't exist. The period of the Nazis uh, in the Salzburg Festival, I don't want um, to say uh, a lot of this because it was only um, it was very strange that Richard Strauss has written operas for this time, Liebe der Danae, who finally uh, could not be premiered because premier because was the end. But for me, uh, it was very important that at the time when I worked at the Salzburg Festival, this history was not completely open. A lot of documents was closed and I tried to fight to have these documents, but it was not possible. Now, at this time, uh, there uh, appeared a lot of new books uh, on, 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 on this uh, during class. But what is more interesting, there is the best book uh, brought with me on the ideology of uh, the Salzburg Festival and what goes together with this period is of Michael P. Steinberg. Uh, it is a book who was published in 90, just at the moment that I was nominated to Salzburg. And when I was in Salzburg and knew about it, I couldn't find it. I couldn't buy it in Salzburg. And I bought it finally on Madison Avenue in New York, uh, but it was published by the Cornell University. And this book was absolutely impossible in Salzburg. Uh, during uh, the first years I worked in the Salzburg Festival that was in the 90s, between 92 and 2001. And this only at the end of my period in 2000 that there was a German translation and that this book was published in the Salzburg Festival. I say this to see how the Salzburg Festival is a very ideological festival. It's a, but very interesting for me because we can, through the Salzburg Festival, study enormously about uh, the 20th century for my feeling. And really the ones who once informed themselves, it's a, a fantastic book, it's the best whatever was published on the Salzburg Festival with the whole ideology, uh, also with the role of Jewish Austrians, what was Jedermann, uh, what was Hofmannsthal, partly, and Max Reinhardt, and also the great conflicts they had with the Salzburg population and with the Salzburg church in building up uh, this. But it would go too long, it would be for hours, we would talk about this, how uh, there was always discussion. But another parenthesis at the moment, uh, uh, the Salzburg Festival has a new crisis because, as you may know, the leader uh, now, Mr. Pereira, goes to the Salzburg, to the Scala of Milan. But this crisis is typical for the Salzburg Festival, and the fights 
between the conductors, later than in Salzburg, was also permanent. It started from the beginning between Karl Böhm and Clemens Krauss, between Franz Schalk and Bruno Walter. I could make you another discourse about all the fights between the <laughs> conductors in the hundred years of history of the Salzburg Festival, what ended during my period between Claudia Abado and Riccardo Muti, as you may know. Um, Going back, we have the, the, the Nazi time, then at the end the fe festival. And then, very important, is that at, uh, after the Second World War, there was for the first time a really great innovation. When I say this, it's not against Hofmannsthal, but I always have to make the difference between what Hofmannsthal wanted, very important, and then for the first time in the 50s, we had a connection between the Salzburg Festival and, if I may say, modern art. It was the time of the famous composer Gottfried von Einem, uh, who composed, for example, Danton's Tod. It was an opera opposite maybe to, 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 to Wozzeck. Maybe not as good, but a very interesting, uh, interesting work. Very interesting too, Rolf Liebermann, the famous director of the Palais Garnier of the Paris Opera a long time, belonged to them and uh, great uh, stage directors like Oscar Fritsch, most of people have now forgotten, but it was um, a very important moment. It means that for the first time in Salzburg, um, they did new creations of opera, not anymore of theater alone, but of opera. And it's a time where Karl Off has written his Antigone, for example, Rolf Liebermann has uh, done new pieces, Gottfried von Einem, several pieces. Interesting also that for the first time, not only great conductors, but also great stage directors will come for the first time to Salzburg, like Oscar Fritschou, the famous Günther Rennert. Uh, so there is a short but very strong innovation in Salzburg for during about five years. What was the disaster? And that's for me very important, that uh, the famous composer, Gottfried von Einem, had to retire because he tried to bring in Bertolt Brecht as director of the play. And this was such a big scandal that this communist uh, would come to the Salzburg Festival that he was obliged to retire. A lot of people don't know that. But Brecht, after he was not accepted in Salzburg, what could have been for Salzburg an enormous innovation, went to Berlin. And another scandal, uh, of, uh, and that's also interesting for nowadays, another big scandal was that uh, Gottfried van Eym has made on the program for the first time Wozzeck of Alban Berg. And this was unacceptable. I wrote all the discussions in Parliament about this uh, first night of Wozzeck, where, of course, there are some words who are vulgar when the doctor says he had gepisst of der Straße, it had gepinkelt, was impossible in the very famous uh, um, uh, moment. And uh, this was the two reasons. Alban Berg's Wozzeck, created nevertheless in 1925 already in Berlin, in the 50s in Salzburg, and um, the, the, coming, the possible coming of uh, Bertolt Brecht. And then we have the great period of Herbert von Karajan. What was, of course, an empire. I will tell you about that because it was for me as small flame coming from Flanders, you can believe what it meant to come after the empire, Herbert von Karajan. 
who was an artistic director from 57 and uh, stayed until his death in 89, not always in the same position. Nevertheless, I think that the period of Karen is very interesting also to analyze because it reflects completely what happened during that time in the arts world. And that means also that the Salzburg Festival has a great importance because it takes up everything what happens at that moment. One of the great uh, achievements of uh, Herbert von Karajan, and I have to talk about this, was the building of the great Festspielhaus, what he did together with uh, the <coughs> architect Clemens Holzmeister. We have a look at that. Outside, as in Bayreuth, without, uh, but they had not many space, and because it's very short, the, one, the people who doesn't know Salzburg, after this house you have the mountain, so they, had, they have even built uh, partly the Festspielhaus in the mountain, very large, but this is for me more uh, interesting, that's a house. You see, at the same time, Bayreuth was an inspiration here, but only with the balcony. But what is very important <coughs> is that for the first time, they built an opera house with an opening of 36 meters. It means when you look to the stage, you have 36 meters. You know that a normal opera house uh, Covent Garden, let's say, the Paris Opera, the Scala, it's between 14 and 16 meter opening. So it's more as double. But you can close it on 24, I tried to do 24, because when you are sitting by 36 meter uh, in, in the Feshby house, you are on a tennis court, huh? you look, <laughs> look always in, this, in the both directions. Uh, but it's interesting, why? It was because at that time, in 58, was the first cinemascope film, Covades, and it's for sure that Karian, who was very open and who was always uh, looking for new elements, like Wagner did in a certain way, wanted to try out this cinemascope dimension. For me, that's a very interesting element and was forgotten, and when I came to Salzburg, I tried to reflect on this. But it means at the same time that through the building of this opera house, Mozart was in a certain way banished. Because Mozart, because if I'm too you play on 36 meters, <laughs> with uh, six people is very dif uh, difficult. Even the magic flute is difficult to play that way. We know that Karian did even Don Giovanni and many times fantastic productions, but it was interesting that with uh, Herbert von Karajan and the great Festspielhaus, the programmation of the Salzburg Festival had to change. And we had to go to the great opera of the 19th century. In a little way, the grand opera of Meyerbeer. Of course, with enormous possibilities for uh, Boris Godunov, for Aida, for Don Carlo. And of course, all these pieces came in the repertoire. Is, 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 is a saying that through the building of the uh, Feshbühaus, the idea of Hofmannsthal went completely away. It was a new, a new vision. And I don't say good or bad, I only say it's very interesting to analyze. It was a moment also in Europe of more and more restoration. But it's more, it's more interesting. Herbert von Karajan, uh, his great achievements for me, was first of all the building of this house with all positive 
and negative elements, but I believe that this house is perfect for the great works of the 20th century. Of course, Moses and Aaron of Schoenberg. But the problem is that with 2,200 seats, that's now an economic problem. We have always, you are anxious to do a modern work in this big house because you have only 80%. So that are the big, uh, always this. But it's a fantastic house for the contemporary, the great repertoire of the 20th century, and of course for everything that has to do with epic theater. But there was another point. Karian installed the highest musical quality. I think with Karian, he doesn't say before there was Toscanini and there was Furtwängler, but he has really done for every performance his high musical quality. But he connected it with the recordings. At that time, it was a very democratic reflection. Later, it turned around against the performance, but at the moment that Carrion developed it, it was the connection through recordings to make uh, the very elitist Salzburg Festival popular in publishing the records. And it's maybe, I don't know, but I would like to tell you that it was very strange, the system of Karian. We have uh, forgotten about it. He gives so much importance to the recording of his musical uh, performances that he started to record. And later, he made the performance. And it happened that way. He made the recording in Berlin most of the time, with, or in Vienna, uh, the, uh, but most of the time with the Berlin Philharmonic, and later he did with the Vienna. He recorded it, and then he designed himself, as you may know, he wanted to do everything. He was really all-round man, Superman, uh, absolutely. And then he obliged the singers to sit next to him in the place, and on the stage, you had a figuration. He, they did the movements they had told them, and the singers had to look to them how to do it. It was a very strange opinion about theater, we must say. But he was so scared that the singers would not be musical enough. Krista uh, Ludwig has told me a lot of stories about this. She said it was impossible because we wanted to go on the stage. We said, no, sit with me and look what they are doing. Of course, if you have a small boy of this, and then you had John Vickers to do the same thing as what did the small fish, it was quite difficult. But that was, in, that was this new uh, aesthetic who appeared, and of course, the development of recording. My problem was when I came to the Salzburg Festival that only the people who sang on records was for the public important enough, and that was really a decadence at, at, at the end of the Carian years. As you may know, in Bayreuth, never the recording was done before. It was what is so famous and where we are listening today, what we like so much, is recordings who are done live. For example, the Carian recording of the Tristan of the end of the 50s, or the Kaelbertring with Astrid Vanai. When we, the older people my, my age in this room, uh, what is so fantastic in Bayreuth is this historical recordings. In Salzburg, it went away. And Karian stays also, he's a very great phenomenon, probably one of the greatest conducts of the 20th century, but a social phenomenon too, because he introduced for the first time in classical music, and that became very important in Salzburg, the, the picture of the Hollywood star into the classical music. It never existed before. So Herbert von Kahn, he was always marvelous. His hair was 
fantastic. Every every morning was done. Uh, yeah, because I know and I know very well his butler was was a, a very sympathetic man who helped a lot ever. So it was then every morning. Then there was a sports car, there was a private plane, and you know when Herbert von Kalen conducted the Rolls Royce was in front of the Festspiel House. It means uh, the whole Hollywood system of the SARS system, what already was started with Greta Garbo uh, before, came to the Southwark Festival, and that was a big change of the, the atmosphere in that time. I could uh, go on because it's a very, for me, very int interesting to see, and then you had the more negative aspects and that I had to feel was also started the great jet set and when I came then later back to the one of the great critics I got is that was less private planes on the airport of Salzburg as during the times of Carrion. That I had to accept. <laughs> I, 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 had, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I could deal with that but I could not fight against it. So that was, that was um, I believe a very important moment for the Southwark Festival, on, ver on many levels, very interesting, but also with us always with the dangers in it and reflecting the evolution of the arts world to more and more cultural consume. But it was not taught in that way at the beginning. In the beginning it was taught as communication, but true, it developed then that you don't have one Tosca at home, but 12 at least, and you don't never know what the one who want, you want to play. <laughs> that, that was the evolution who come through, through this. And I will finish to try to say what, uh, what, what happened afterwards, what I tried to do in the Southwark Festival, but it's more difficult to talk about it because it should sound as positive and I would like, uh, there are also negative uh, points about it, but I would only like to uh, talk what we tried at the, at the end of the 20th century together with my colleagues, Mr. Landesmann and Wiesmüller, how to try to give uh, the festival a vision who could help in the 21st century because it was for sure that after 30 years this way of Herbert von Karten could not go further. There was, it was necessary to, to find something new. So the first point was to go back to Hofmannsthal and to find out what was what he did. So we made the play again very important in inviting uh, Peter Stein and since the beginning of the 90s the play became as important a game as the music. It was at the beginning more play as music, in the time of Karian was more music as play with some fantastic play performances, what I have seen, the famous George Australia, for example, on the Shakespeare tragedies was during the Karian time. But the play became essential. There was uh, the uh, essential next to the music, um, uh, and that was in the sense of Hofmann style. But at the same time, we tried to bring in, in Salzburg, everything what was excluded by Hofmannsthal. It means that all the great composers of the beginning of the 20th century, the classics, uh, came for the first time to Salzburg. It was Stravinsky, Bartok, Janacek, Shostakovich, Buzoni, and so on. Um, to give some figures, um, I did about 60, 60 new productions in the Southwark Festival on opera, uh, then plus all the production theatre. From the 60, more as 50% was 20th century. 
what brought me a lot of critic also, but finally a great deal of the public um, uh, came more and more open for this for this um, for the great classics, and that was followed, of course, because you have in modern music, for my feeling, always to start with the great classic. Uh, composers like Berg, Schoenberg, Debussy, and then go on to the more contemporary, so we brought in Messiaen, Ligeti, Courtac. And I think this was, uh, let's say, something we had to do, uh, what Hofmannsthal didn't want to do, but with enormous consequence. The people who know the Salzburg Festival know that at the beginning there's always a great speech uh, by the president and by another, and I was in, 96, during this opening speech, very attacked by the president of that time, uh, who died meanwhile, that I uh, was a trahison to the spirit of Hofmannsthal. He was right. I couldn't say he was partly right, but I thought that after 100 years about, we had to rethink about the festival and that we had to go in this direction. Very interesting at this moment, um, these 10 years are now considered as very important, in the, not more important as the other ones, was as an important movement uh, during the Southwark Festival. The third point was that we went for the first time out. You know that during the 70s and 80s, what was very important in the theatre world, that a lot of companies went out of, of the national buildings. In London, for example, it was very typical. They went to more popular places. And we went out to one place in Salzburg. It was in a factory. It was Peter Stein who found this, a factory uh, of salt. It was this on 20 kilometers of Salzburg and became now a place in the Salzburg Festival. You could not uh, lose this place. We did there the whole, all the Shakespeare, the whole Shakespeare tragedy on in during one day. It's uh, now becoming Halein, it's called, and became a very, uh, a very important place for the festival. And finally, uh, we brought in next to the great conductors, uh, the great stage directors of that time. And of course, we will have the time on Saturday for the people who come back to discuss these things about bad staging, new staging, modern staging, the famous discussion, what, uh, what happened also in Salzburg. And to finish, I believe that uh, the Salzburg Festival at the moment is in a very difficult situation because now uh, the situation of the art is very difficult. Uh, and that we will discuss also the uh, people who want to come on Saturday. The problem of this moment is that in a time where we have financial crisis, the art is considered as an appendix we don't need. My position is exactly the contrary. I think that in a moment where a lot of people are in despair because they have not enough money, in a moment where our society was in crisis, uh, what is not a financial crisis, but a crisis of values, a crisis of a lot of questions, that the art is the best to find answers on these questions. Maybe we don't find the answers, but at least we can put the right questions. It's already a, a, a good beginning. And I hope that we will talk about this. I mean, that, uh, therefore, that the Salzburg Festival, as it's still very enormous in the spot, with 200,000 people every year going to the Salzburg Festival from whole Europe, this festival uh, 
can have a leading role at the moment and I don't think that she has it the whole time. She cannot become only a place where you can listen to the best singers of our time, what is very beautiful too, but it should stay a place where the public who is coming has the possibility in a beautiful atmosphere to discuss with each other what art can uh, signify uh, in the life. I hope I uh, will certainly participate now in this uh, new evolution of the Southwark Festival in finding solutions um, because you know how it went and don't know if you know Austria but in Austria when you go away then already you have the beatification as long as you are there you are condemned to, hold, to go to hell but once you are away uh, uh, you get you, I am already a little bit beatification in Salzburg at this moment so I can have some influence on, 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 uh, on the future of, of this I hope with this Sort I, uh, was very uh, reduced, of course, but with this um, that you could um, uh, feel how much the Southwark Festival and how much a festival can reflect uh, the art evolution of a certain uh, period. Now we see that in a period where art is becoming more and more consumption, where I fight against in the sense of Hannah Arendt, who says art can never be a consumed product. Uh, it's something, something else that in this time we have all to fight together and to think how this Southwark Festival can stay the spot for an intellectual and at the same time uh, arts life in Europe. Thank you.